Hi, this is Bill Federer, and I thought we would talk about some of the courageous women during the Revolutionary War. So in 1777, George Washington and the American troops are driven out of Philadelphia, and they have to set up camp about 25 miles away, and it gets freezing cold. And so Calvin Coolidge gave an address to the Daughters of the American Revolution. He said, we have been told of the unselfish devotion of the women who gave their own warm garments to fashion clothing for the suffering Continental Army during that bitter winter at Valley Forge. The burdens of the war were not all borne by men. So in that freezing cold winter, about 2,500 soldiers died of hunger, typhoid, jaundice, dysentery, pneumonia. But the women were the uh, medical corps. They were the ones that scavenged for food. They were the ones that cooked uh, and cleaned the, the clothes. They're the ones that sewed the uniforms and sewed the blankets. And this was an army that was thrown together at the last minute. There were no government issued anything. And the women were called camp followers, but that term doesn't do them justice because they were basically doing all the support work for the army. And they were um, organized by Martha Washington and Lucy Knox, the wife of Colonel Henry Knox, and Katie Green, the wife of General Nathaniel Green. So the general's wives were organizing these women to take care of the army. And they were... Uh, so important, one of the ladies, Mrs. Westlake, described Martha Washington and said, I've never in my life knew a woman so busy from early morning until late at night, as was Lady Washington, providing comforts for the sick soldiers. Well, uh, Esther Reed, the wife of Officer Joseph Reed, and Sarah Franklin Bach, the daughter of Ben Franklin, organized the Ladies of Philadelphia, and they raised $300,000 for General Washington to buy clothes for the army. So they weren't just camp followers, they were out there fundraising for the army. Uh, the situation was that the states would have their own militias, and it was the Articles of Confederation. We did not have a U.S. Constitution yet. And so the central government had no power to tax. It was dependent on the states giving voluntary donations. Well, the states were busy fighting their own battles. They didn't want to give up extra money. And so George Washington's Continental Army was always lacking funds. And so the women were raising money for George Washington's army. During the Revolution, Lucy Knox left her loyalist British family. And they got on a boat and sailed to England, and she never saw them again. And then Lucy Knox and her husband would be the following the army for over 20 years. She did not, they did not have a permanent home. They were always following the army. Uh, so the women paid a very important part of the revolution. Calvin Coolidge went on in his address to the Daughters of the American Revolution. He said, who has not heard of Molly Pitcher, whose heroic services at the Battle of Monmouth helped the sorely tried army of George Washington? So the Battle of Monmouth is not too far from uh, Philadelphia and those different uh, New England areas. And, and uh, Molly Pitcher, her name was Martha Ludwig, but uh, the women would go from dugout to dugout giving a pitcher of water to the soldiers. 
And so at this particular Battle of Monmouth, it was extremely hot. And here's Martha Ludwig Hayes uh, going from dugout to dugout. And so she was nicknamed Molly Pitcher. And uh, during this battle, it was so hot that her husband, who was taking care of one of the cannons, loading it and firing it, he faints of heat stroke. And so she puts down her pitcher and she picks up the swab because you had to dip this long rod with a cloth on the end in a bucket and then in between shots, shove it through the, the cannon to cool it down. Because if not, the cannon would get too hot and melt and then it wouldn't be able to be fired anymore. There's even a 10 cent US, US postage stamp of Molly Pitcher loading a cannon, right, in uh, 1778. So Molly Pitcher... Uh, finished the rest of the battle loading this cannon. And a British cannonball at one point flew right between her legs as she was reaching over to pick up a cannonball to put into the cannon. And uh, she uttered, well, that could have been worse. And she stood up and resumed loading the cannon. And so there was a soldier, Joseph Plum Martin, who wrote in his diary, a woman whose husband belonged to the artillery and who was then attached to a piece, a cannon, in the engagement, attended with her husband at the piece while in the act of reaching a cartridge and having one of her feet as far before the other as she could step, a cannon shot from the enemy passed directly between her legs without doing any other damage than carrying away all the lower part of her petticoat. Looking at it with apparent unconcern, she observed that it was lucky it did not pass a little higher, for in that instance, it might have carried away something else and continued her occupation. So here she is just loading the cannon. And so they have a historical marker for Molly Pitcher in Philadelphia. She's nicknamed Sergeant Molly, and she was issued a warrant as a non-commissioned officer. Uh, another woman during the revolution in a similar story, her name was Margaret Cochran Corbin, and she was the wife of an artilleryman, John Corbin. Well, on November 16th, 1776, John Corbin is fighting with 2,800 Continental soldiers defending Manhattan's Fort Washington. They were being attacked by 9,000 German Hessian mercenary troops. And uh, mercenary means that they were hired from Germany to fight against America. Well, Mary Corbin was bringing water in buckets to swab the cannons when her husband was killed. And she immediately took his place at the cannon and helped return fire. Seriously wounded in her arm, Margaret Corbin, Captain Molly as well as she was called, uh, was the first woman in U.S. history to be awarded a military pension. And then there is... Prudence Coming Wright and Sarah Shattuck. Now, these are two women that when the, the Americans left the town of Pepperell, Massachusetts to go fight, they were in charge of the town. And so they organized a woman's militia and it was called Mrs. David Wright's Guard. And they used weapons, everything from muskets to farm tools. And they would prepare and train and drill and be ready to defend Pepperell against the British. Now, the women, in addition to being camp followers and raising money, they had to work the farms. Uh, they had to defend against the Indians that the British were stirring up. 
they had to raise their families and then they had to uh, organize boycotts. So we were buying stuff from the British. Uh, the British would buy cotton from America, take it to the textile factories because the industrial revolution was beginning and they would make it into bolts of cloth. And so you would buy this bolt of cloth and sew the clothes. Well, when the women boycotted British goods, it also meant boycotting British cloth. And so the women had to go back to spinning wheels, which is where you take the, the wool from a sheep and you tie, pull it and pull it. And then the, and it grabs together and turns into thread and they'd have spinning wheels. Very, very time consuming. But the women were willing to do this to boycott the British goods. Another woman uh, acted as a spy and uh, they were also saboteurs. And this is dangerous because if you're a spy and you're caught, you're killed. If you're an enemy caught in your uniform, well, then you get kept and traded for one of the other country's soldiers that are captive on the, on the other side. But if somebody's uh, doing military stuff without a uniform, you just get killed. And so uh, these were dangerous roles. Now, we're all familiar with Abigail Adams, Mercy Otis Warren, Dolly Madison, and Deborah Reed Franklin. Uh, but there was one lady named Kate Moore Berry. She was the heroine of the Battle of Cowpens in South Carolina. And so she, sort of like Paul Revere, she gets on her horse and she rides through the back trails of South Carolina to warn the Americans and to round up the militia, including her husband, Gen to join General Daniel Morgan to fight the Battle of Cowpens on January 17, 1781. Another 16-year-old, Sybil Ludington. And so she does a Paul Revere-type ride on April 26, 1777. So at nighttime, she rides 40 miles on horseback through Putman and Dutchess counties, waking up the Patriots and yelling for them to join the militia led by her father, Colonel Henry Ludington. And she uh, was... Um, uh, they have historical markers up along the different paths that she rode there uh, toward Danbury, Connecticut. Another lady is Lydia Derrick. And so the British would quarter in your house, right? So they would come up to your door and they would walk into your house and they would sit down at the kitchen table and they would make the women cook them food. And then they would go into the bedroom and they say, we're going to sleep in this bed. And then they just took over the house. It's called quartering in the house. And uh, so a little Quaker lady, Lydia Derrick, the British commandeered her house. And she not only had to cook and clean for him, uh, but she had to live in the attic with her son instead of the bedroom. But she listened through the wall and would listen through the floor. And she would hear the plans that the British were doing. And she would write them on small pieces of paper and then wad them up into little balls and then make little felt buttons for her son's vest. And then she would tell her young son to go out and meet Washington's men. And they would snip the buttons off the vest and take them to George Washington. And he would unfold them and read the note. And one of these notes saved Washington from being ambushed and killed at White Marsh because of this intelligence that he got. So Lydia Derrick po possibly saved George Washington's life. Another is 22-year-old Deborah Champion. She acted as a spy, so, sort of like, it was September of 1775. 
and her father was in charge of the uh, commissary, the bringing of supplies to General Washington. And the father needed to get an urgent message to Washington, but the British had checkpoints on every single road and you couldn't go past them. And so she dressed up as an old woman with a big bonnet that hung over her head. And she took the important papers and hid them in the um, bodice of her Lindsay Woolsey dress. So the dresses with all the, the big skirts in there and she hid the papers in there and she went past the British. And another is Anna Smith Strong. And she was part of the Culper spy ring. What's that? Well, the British took over New York City and Washington needed information to figure out what are they going to do next. And of course, this is the time when um, Nathan Hale, the young 21-year-old college graduate, uh, agrees to be a spy. and He gets caught and hung. So it was dangerous. But this Culper spy ring, uh, there was a guy, Richard Townsend, and he pretended to be a loyalist to the British, and he would sort of hang around and listen. And then he would go to a tavern and tell the owner of the tavern, Austin Rowe, what he had heard. And the tavern owner would get it to a guy named Abraham Woodhull. And then they needed to tell the Americans on the other side of Long Island Sound that there was some information. and But they, they couldn't just, you know, shout. And so the signal was Anna Smith Strong would hang her laundry with certain colors on one side and certain colors on the other side. And the American on the other side, Caleb Brewster, would look through a telescope. And when he saw the laundry hung up in a certain way, then he knew there was a message for George Washington. And he would row across the Long Island Sound uh, and get the message and take it to Major Ben Talmadge, who would give it to George Washington involved but here who would think that a woman hanging her laundry is part of helping the american cause and then there's nancy hart and she was in her cabin while her husband was off um being part of the war well the british show up and they quartered in her house and they shot her prized turkey and ordered her to cook it for them and she was not too happy but she decided she would oblige them and she would serve them corn whiskey just to get them a little bit not paying as much attention and while they were uh, she's moving back and forth in the cabin cooking and they're busy talking she would take one of their muskets and move it to the other side of the cabin and her daughter was waiting there there were like a little crack in the wall and she would hand the musket to the daughter and um then she would move another musket and she'd serve him more corn whiskey and be happy. Then she'd move another musket move until she finally got him all over there. And then the one British soldier noticed what she was doing. And he gets up from the table and the daughter cocks the musket, hands it to the mom, who immediately pulls the trigger and kills the guy. And before the other ones can move, the daughter cocks the next musket and hands it to the mom. And she says, the next one that moves gets killed and she shoots the next one. And so the other ones are like, not going to move. And there's six of them all together. And so the daughter had handed the mom another, a third musket. And she keeps them at gunpoint until her husband comes home. And he, uh, she, she insists that all of them be hung. And they hang them and they bury them. And it was just a story that was being passed around until 1912. 
they were putting in a railroad track by the old Hart farm and they were graving through the hillside and they uncovered six nicely dug uh, graves with British uh, bodies in them. So it was a real story of Nancy Hart. And um, uh, another Mary Bratton. And uh, there was a her husband, Colonel William Bratton, um, had blown up a cache of gunpowder, uh, or the wife did, while the husband was off fighting. And the British were upset that their gunpowder got blown up. And so they went to her and said, did you blow it up? And she goes, yes, I did. And they, the one British officer puts a reaping hook to her throat. That's those curved, very sharp things that they would use to slice the wheat and so forth. And he held it up to her throat and said, tell me where your husband is or I'm going to cut your throat. And she refused to tell. And so um, he ends up not killing her. Uh, and then they're having a battle on the front lawn or of the house and the bullets are flying through the wooden cabin. And she takes her young son. She first throws a bucket of water on the the coals in the fireplace to cool them down and then sticks her young son up the chimney because the chimney was made of stone and it was the only place in the house that you uh, couldn't get, uh, you know, a bullet couldn't go through. And um, anyway, and then uh, one more story, uh, Nancy Ward. Uh, Nancy Ward was actually a Cherokee and the British were stirring up the Cherokee to fight the Americans and they had captured some Americans and so these Cherokee had these Americans tied up and one of them was a woman and they were going to kill him the next day. And so Nancy, her, her Cherokee name is Nanyi High. Uh, so Nancy Nanyi High Ward goes down and is talking to the woman that's tied up being ready to be killed the next day. And uh, her name was Lydia Bean. And uh, they begin to visit and they begin to trade cooking recipes like how to make butter and things like that and they befriended each other and so that's when uh nancy nanyi high um freed uh lydia bean and let her escape so uh just another interesting story of here who would know that uh sharing some cooking uh, recipes could uh, save her life um we're familiar with the french helping during the Revolutionary War, young Marquis de Lafayette, but there were Spanish women. So uh, the uh, Lafayette goes back to France, lobbies the King Louis XVI to send help. And finally he sends help with Rochambeau, who's the general, and they're coming across the ocean and they go to the um, uh, Dominican Republic, and there's the French half of it, uh, but they don't have any um, uh, money. Uh, and so the um, uh, Haiti is the, the name that it eventually took after, and, uh, during the time of Napoleon, the Haiti broke free. But before Haiti broke free, it was, it was a French island. And so there's no money there. And so uh, Rochambeau and Marquis de Lafayette take their Spanish ships to Havana, Cuba. And when word spreads that they were looking for money to help George Washington, the ladies of Havana donated their gold and their silver and their silverware and their jewelry. They raised an estimated a uh, million dollars worth of money and they uh, send it with a note 
So the American mother's sons are not born as slaves. And so here, Rochambeau puts this money from these women from Havana, Cuba, and then sails up to Yorktown and uh, to help Washington. And reportedly, Washington was so elated, he threw his hat in the air. And so the General Rochambeau wrote in his daily memoirs, which are recorded in the Library of Congress, the joy was enormous when it was received. The money from Havana, the contribution of 800 silver pounds, which helped stop the financial bankruptcy, bankruptcy of the Revolutionary Army and raised the moral spirit of the army that had begun to dissolve. And so uh, historian Stephen Bonsell wrote in When the French Were Here, published in 1945, he says, the millions that was supplied by the ladies of Havana may with truth be regarded as the bottom dollars upon which the edifice of American independence was erected. So just some inspiring stories. We all hear about George Washington and Patrick Henry and all those others, but it, it's important for us to remember the role that women played in the Revolutionary War, helping us to get our independence and have the freedom that we so enjoy today. So hope you appreciate that. God bless you. Have a great day.